The book of Matthew follows a chronological order and thematic relationship between the events that take place. Jesus had just encountered the opposition and unbelief of the Pharisees. If you remember from a few weeks ago, they had indirectly found fault with Jesus as healing those who had come and touched him. They were finding fault with his being unclean. But they did this indirectly, not directly. They found fault with the disciples for having eaten with unwashed hands. Jesus said that they were hypocrites. Matthew 15, verse 7. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, What defiles a person is not from without, verses 10 and 11. The key thought is that the Pharisees were offended by Jesus' teaching. Notice verse 12. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? This is the bridge. This is the connecting thought of the passage that we were in a couple weeks ago and the passage that we are in today. Jesus, in essence, says, Don't worry about those Pharisees. Verse 13, he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. They are going to be rooted up there. They are going to be lost. Jesus then departs from there and heads to the land of the Gentiles. Verse 21, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now we have an implicit as opposed to explicit comparison of the lack of faith on the part of the Pharisees and the great faith of the Canaanite woman. Jesus does not explicitly make the comparison, but we should. The great overarching comparison is that the Pharisees are offended by Jesus' teaching and the Canaanite woman is not. They had a lack of faith. She had a great faith. Key verse is Matthew 15, verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. We are to see the greatness of this Canaanite woman's faith. Therefore, the theme of our message this morning is the characteristics of great faith. The characteristics of great faith. For we want to praise this faith. We want to model this faith. We want to pursue this kind of faith in our own hearts and minds. So characteristics of great faith. The first characteristic of great faith is that great faith is not easily discouraged. Great faith is not easily discouraged. The Canaanite woman was not discouraged by her daughter's condition. Notice verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She knew that her daughter was demonized. And she could see that this demon was severely oppressing her daughter. This must have been a a powerful demon. must have been bringing about very traumatic and difficult situations in the life of this child. But this woman was not put off by that difficult circumstance. She believed that Jesus could help her. 
She believed that Jesus had the solution to this young child's problem. She was not discouraged by the great need. The Canaanite woman was not discouraged by Christ's indifference. Now we find a curious account, starting with verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter severely oppressed by a demon. The woman came to where Jesus, Jesus was. And the woman was boldly proclaiming her faith in Jesus. For it tells us in verse 22 that she was crying out. She was shouting aloud. Everyone could hear this woman saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She acknowledged him as Lord, and she acknowledged him as the Messiah, the King of Israel, the son of David. And the woman was repeatedly calling to Jesus. Notice verse 22, the ESV translate this, was crying, was crying. An habitual crying out to the Lord, repeatedly saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, son of David. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, son of David. And yet, the woman was not discouraged when Jesus ignored her request. Notice verse 23. But he did not answer her a word. He said nothing. He did nothing. He didn't even acknowledge her presence or the fact that he heard what she was saying. Her pleads for mercy and help fell on a deaf ear. He didn't answer her a word. I wonder, have you ever become discouraged because your prayers have gone unanswered? Have you ever had a great need and you've called upon the Lord Jesus Christ to help you, to deliver you, or someone in your family? Or a condition, the plight of our nation, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and nothing happens. Do you ever get discouraged? Ever question the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the power of God? Have you ever said, What's the use? Why pray? Here is a woman following after Jesus calling out to him, have mercy upon me, O Lord, son of David. And he doesn't answer her a word. The Canaanite woman was not discouraged by the disciples' opposition. The disciples came and make a request of Jesus. Notice verse 23. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, NAS came to him, kept asking him, and they urged him, just as she was repeatedly asking Jesus for mercy and help, they were repeatedly asking something of Jesus as well. But notice what they were asking. 
Verse 23. Send her away. Send her away. Dismiss her. Get rid of her. Why? Because she's a nuisance. She's bothering us. Notice the end of verse 23. For she is crying out after us. This woman isn't going to shut up. This woman isn't going to let us go. Jesus, if you don't do something, she's going to be going on forever. Send her away. Send her away. Why didn't they say, Jesus, grant her request? Jesus, have mercy on this poor woman. Why couldn't they identify with her suffering? Why couldn't they acknowledge that Jesus had the power to remove this demon? Why didn't she receive their help? Why didn't they implore for her? Instead, she hears them say, send her away. Get rid of her. These disciples were sensitive at best, not thinking of this woman's plight, misery, heartache, or frustration. And at worst, they were just cruel and mean and thoughtless. What could have easily gone through the heart and mind of this woman? Imagine. Imagine being overwhelmed Imagine having a child that is being severely oppressed by a demon. I don't know what all that might entail. Sometimes the demons threw people on the ground. Sometimes they put them into fires. But this woman must have known heartache and misery and tragedy. And she comes to Jesus and is ignored. She comes to the disciples and she's dismissed. You're a nuisance. You're a bother. Go home. Jesus, send her away. Have you ever been discouraged in your faith because of the lack of response on the part of God's people? Have you ever had a great need and you felt like you're a nuisance? You felt like people viewed you as a bother? Just imagine bringing up the same prayer request week after week and somebody saying, you know, I wish you'd stay home. This is really getting old. You're saying the same thing week after week. Just go home. Be quiet. Learn to live with it. This woman was not discouraged in her faith. The Canaanite woman was not discouraged by Jesus' initial response. He answered, verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This statement seemed to supply no hope, no ground for appeal. This was a Canaanite woman. She was not Israelite. Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
If that doesn't sound like the hammer falling, the final word, the ultimate decree, it seems like all hope is lost here. But she's still not discouraged. She still doesn't quit. She still continues on. Instead of being discouraged, she worshiped Jesus. Notice verse 25. But, but, important word, circle it. It is, it is a conversive word. It is showing the contrary reaction. You would think that at this point the woman would give up. But she came, knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Notice what she did. First, she worshiped Jesus by bowing before him. She knelt before him. This word is to kneel in worship. This one who wouldn't help her, she worshiped. She worshiped Jesus by calling him Lord, the Almighty One, Jehovah. And she worshiped Jesus by seeking his help. Help me. She knew that Jesus could deliver her her child. She knew that Jesus could meet the need. She trusted in the mercy and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she wasn't going to be easily discouraged. I say easily. By this time, there were a host of reasons to be discouraged in her faith. To just walk away and say, I guess Jesus doesn't care. I guess he's disinterested. I guess he's not going to help me. But not only is great faith not easily discouraged, great faith is not easily offended either. Now notice what Jesus does. Great faith is not easily offended. Jesus says that the woman is not deserving to be helped, verse 28. And he answered, it is not right. It is not right. Now notice these words. It is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to dogs. Imagine Jesus saying that to you. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to, to, to dogs. Notice her response, verse 27. She said, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You are right, Almighty One. It is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to dogs. She is willing to acknowledge that she is a dog. Earlier, the Israelites had been viewed as lost sheep. Notice verse 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. You know, that's a, a nice, fuzzy, furry picture. 
A sheep is a lovable animal. A sheep is a follower. A sheep was well thought of. And the shepherds watched over and cared for sheep. The Israelites were viewed as a sheep. She was a Canaanite. They were viewed as dogs. And dogs were not viewed highly in their culture. Most of them were wild, savage, mangy, miserable animals. And he said it's not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to dogs. But more than that, Jesus raises the ante in the comparison. For he doesn't just compare now sheep to dogs, but notice this. Verse 26. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to dogs. The children are the Israelites. The dogs, plural, are this woman and her child. You get that. And Jesus said, it is not right to take the bread of children and throw it to your dog, which is her child. Those are harsh words. Those are strong words. What would you think if Jesus said that to you? How would you respond? Yes, Lord. It's true. We're dogs. Yes, Lord, it's true. We don't deserve this of you. She's not asking for justice. She's asking for mercy. She's not saying, I deserve this. She's saying, I'm a Canaanite. She's identifying with the wickedness of her culture. She's identifying with all the sinfulness that surrounds her. The defilement in the passage. But she's saying, but you're my Lord. You're my Lord. This should be shocking in our politically correct society. Notice, she does not contradict what Jesus says, but rather she takes it a step further. She is not asking for what she deserves, she's asking for mercy. Verse 22, have mercy on me, O Lord. She identifies with being a dog, she accepts the Israelites as children, and she recognizes Jesus as her master. Now she is simply asking to be treated with the same kindness that, yes, even a dog would be treated. Notice verse 27. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What humility. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs. I'm not asking for you to take bread from the children's mouths. She wasn't even asking for a doggy bag. 
All I want is a crumb. A small thing. She wasn't asking Jesus to deliver the Canaanite nation. She wasn't asking for privileges that were unique to the children of Israel. She simply wanted one little thing, a crumb. And that was for her daughter to have this demon removed from her life. She is saying that Jesus is her master. Notice verse 27. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat crumbs from their master's table. Who's the master here? It's Jesus. The children of the Israelites. The dogs are her and her child. All I want is a crumb. The master's table is full of food. Notice the utmost respect with which she treats Jesus. There are no ultimatums. There are no threats. There are no charges of injustice. No accusations of prejudice. No fault finding in Jesus' assessment or actions at all. She doesn't say, how dare you present yourself as merciful when you won't even hear me. How dare you treat me with this way when I've come before you in faith, trusting in you. How dare you? She is not indignant. She is humble. She is submissive. And she is worshipful. People can easily be offended by the assessments of people's conditions. The Pharisees were offended when Jesus referred to them as hypocrites. Matthew 15, verse 7. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you. Then notice verse 12. Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you say that? How dare you call us hypocrites? When that's exactly what they were. This word for offended in the, in the Greek is skandilazio. Skandilazio. I think you can think of what English word comes from that. It's the word to be scandalized. A scandal. They viewed it as a scandal. How dare Jesus refer to us, as Pharisees, as hypocrites? Who does Jesus think he is? You heard him. They're saying to the crowds. How dare you follow him? Just like a political figure today who says something that is politically incorrect and becomes a scandal. It makes the news. Listen to that, what that politician said. Look how they treated and responded to that poor individual. How dare Jesus refer to these hypocrites as hypocrites. An affront. People are offended by the scripture referring to them as sinners, as evil, as opposed to good people who make mistakes. Notice Matthew 15, verse 19. For out of the heart, Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witnesses, and slanders. 
The scripture has the audacity to say the problem with mankind is not external, it's internal. Mankind wants to say, well, the, the problem is external. It's, it's the environment. It's the culture. It's my upbringing. It's out there. And the scripture says, no, the problem's in here. The problem's with the heart. But people don't want to hear that. That's offensive. That's degrading. How dare anybody say that the problem's in here? The problem's not with me. The problem's with the way I was brought up. The problem's that I don't have enough money. The problem's that I don't have enough education. The problem was that people have treated me ill all my life. The problem is out there. It's not in here. Don't tell me that the problem's in here. I won't stand for that. People won't stand for certain behaviors being called sinful or evil or unacceptable. Who are you to tell me how to live? Who are you to say what is right and what is wrong? And they raise your fist. Great faith accepts the scripture's portrayal of our sinfulness and our defilement. Take your hymnal if you would. Please. Turn with me to hymn number 279. That's what we're going to sing in closing. I'm not done yet, but I want you to see something. 279. Chose it for a reason. Isaac Watts wrote this hymn in 1707. I'd like you to see the words to the first stanza. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? That's not what Isaac Watts wrote. know what Isaac Watts wrote? Would he devote a sacred head for a worm such as I? For such a worm as I? That was unpalatable. People didn't want to sing that. Let's change that. That he would die for such a worm as I. Make it sinners. Put in a category that we're all in. We're all sinners. But a worm? But a worm? Number two, was it for crimes that I had done and groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died? For man, the creature's sin. Notice the comparison. The mighty maker, the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who made it all, dying for a creature, a man, a worm. It's in keeping with the psalmist that asks the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man thou visitest him? Why in the world would you save us? Why in the world would you care about us? Why in the world would Almighty God send his son to become a man and to die in our place? We should scratch our heads and wonder in amazement. Who in this room 
would sacrifice their child to spare an ant. See an ant crossing the road and it's going to be run over by a car. So you send your child dashing out in front of that car to kick the ant out of the way and the child dies in place of the ant. Who's going to make that kind of swap? And as ridiculous and absurd as that sounds, the swap, if you will, between the Son of God becoming a man and dying for us is greater than us offering a son to die for an ant. We are both creatures. He is the created one. This woman could accept that she was a dog. Great faith will acknowledge who we are before God. The Pharisees were offended. She was not. She could say, it's true. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The Pharisees could not say it was true. Lastly, the third characteristic of great faith is that great faith is commended by the Lord Jesus Christ. Great faith is commended by Jesus whenever and wherever it is found. Notice verse 28. Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Jesus commends the faith of this Canaanite woman. Her faith is what distinguishes her and sets her apart. Not her culture, not her upbringing, not her background. It is her faith. It is what is in her heart. Where in the hearts of the Pharisees was evil, in the heart of this woman was faith, repentance, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Great faith always pleases the Lord. Great faith is rewarded by God. Notice verse 28. O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. Hebrews 11.6. Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. She believed that she would be rewarded if she diligently sought Jesus, and she was. She believed that he was a merciful God, and he is. She believed that he had the power to deliver, and he does. And she wasn't going to be discouraged, and she wasn't going to be insulted. She was just going to trust in the power and grace and goodness of Jesus. And she was rewarded. For great faith sees God work. Notice the end of verse 28. And her daughter was healed instantly. She believed that this would be a small thing for Jesus to do. A crumb from the table. She did not demand Jesus to go home with her. She did not entreat Jesus to touch this child. She didn't ask Jesus to do anything but to help. And he simply said, you have your desire. That's all that was needed. 
for she believed in the power of God. And that which she received was granted. The overarching message of this passage is that great faith is an example to us all. This woman's faith was a beacon of light, enlightening all who heard of her. Unlike the scribes and the Pharisees, who, it says of them, that they were the blind leading the blind, and that they together would fall into the ditch. She was not the blind leading the blind. She was the beacon of light, leading the enlightened to encounter the grace and mercy and goodness of God, to experience not falling into a pit, but deliverance. She was an example for all. First, she was an example to the Pharisees. An example of faith that is not going to be easily offended, but humbles itself before Jesus and recognizes who he is and worships and accepts his understanding of us. He's an example to the disciples. She is an example to the disciples. A woman that was to be not disparaged, but to be admired. Not a woman to be ridiculed. Not a woman to be dismissed. Not a woman to be ignored. But a woman to be held in esteem. Here is great faith. And she's an example to us. Why didn't Jesus acknowledge her the first time? Why did she have to go on begging him, asking him time and time again, O Lord, have mercy upon me, O Son of David. Why did she have to go through the misery of rejection by the disciples and their indifference? Why, why, why? All of it to reveal what great faith looks like. All so that this woman could be an example also that this woman, who was looked down upon because she was a Canaanite and rejected because she was not a child of Israel, to be compared to the most esteemed in Israel, the Pharisees, who were viewed as children because of their lineage, to find out that the true child is this Canaanite woman. Not a dog at all. But a child who is able to sit at the table and to eat from the hand of the Almighty God. 
They thought that defilement came from without, when defilement came from within. They also thought that a right relationship with God came from without, when a right relationship from God comes from within. Acknowledging our true need For the true need of this woman was spiritual. Her child was demon-possessed. She was willing to acknowledge her need of Jesus Christ. We need to acknowledge our need of Jesus Christ. Don't be easily discouraged And don't be easily offended, but rather say, yes, Lord, it's true. It's true. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It's true of my heart. Yes, it's true. I'm a sinner. Yes, it's true. I need deliverance. Yes, it's true. I need forgiveness. Yes, it's true. You are the Lord. I am not. Yes, it is true. You are merciful. You can help. May God give us a faith that is a beacon for others to see the true grace and love and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this woman and for her faith. Oh Lord, help us to be people of great faith, not easily discouraged, not easily offended, But Lord, accept what your word says about us. Accept our place in life. Accept our need of you. Help us to go on in our faith, in submission, bowing before you as the Lord to do what is right and merciful and gracious. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.